0: morning, everyone. Happy Easter. Uh, My name is Hudson Payne, and I'm going to be reading out of Mark chapter 2, starting at verse 13. He went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, Follow me. And he rose and followed him. As he reclined at the table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Thank you. This is the word of God. Thank you, God. Thank you. You all may be seated. Well, good morning, church family. Um, uh, For those of you who I don't know, my name is uh, Brian. I'm one of the other pastors here. Uh, we're so glad that you, uh, y'all are here this morning. Uh, I also want to give a shout out. Uh, I know we have some kids in the room. Uh, kids, where you at? Y'all can make some noise. It's okay. No, I know I know y'all got more energy than that. Come on, kids. Make some noise. Where you at? I'm literally giving y'all permission to scream in, in, in the church building. So, like, uh, well, hey, I just want to know, we are so glad that y'all are here uh, with us this morning uh, it is so special whenever y'all uh, get to join us for, for worship. I know on most Sundays, uh, y'all are being discipled by our, our, our teachers back in the kids' room, but it's so fun uh, whenever you guys are with us this morning. And so, um, anyways, we're glad that you are in here. So if you have your Bible, uh, go ahead and turn to Mark chapter 2. Uh, if you don't have one, there should be one uh, in the seat in front of you. Uh, if there's not, you probably also have a cell phone with maybe a Bible app on it, and that is also permissible as well. So, anyways, uh, so I don't know if, if y'all were like me growing up, but I had a, a very interesting relationship with escalators, uh, right? That's what you expected to hear on an Easter Sunday. Um, escalators, like, so like, so before, I, once I got over the fear that I wasn't actually going to get sucked under, you know, how many of you guys actually thought that? Like, when you, like, you got to the top of the escalator, you thought that you were going to get sucked under. Uh, that was me. Uh, but once I got over that fear, oh, come on, y'all did too. Um, once I got over that fear, uh, I, I conjured up these fun little games that I could do with the escalator. Um, there were, the games were twofold. There was two different ones. One was see how fast I can go up with the escalator going in the right direction. So the escalator is going up. I just want to see how fast I could go up, down, up there. Um, the fun thing is you always win that game too. Um <laughs> Uh, but the other game that I like to play was, uh, the one that probably got the pe- nerves of most people, was you know, going the opposite direction of the escalator. So if the escalator stairs are going down, I thought it'd be fun, like, let me see, to try to go up, right? And so it was this fun little game that I would always play. How many of y'all actually did that? I know there's not really any escalators in St. Angelo, so most of this is mostly for my people who didn't grow up here like myself. But, uh, um, right, so, but, but in so doing, it was a fun little challenge for, for five-year-old Brian to try to um, go up the escalators, uh, adding this extra resistance, uh, even though um, it was, I was socially unaware of how it was bothering people around me. Um, but but, but here, here's the funny thing was, um, the object of the game was I was adding this unnecessary resistance in order to get to the top. Um, as the escalators are going down, I'm trying to go in the opposite direction. I'm adding this... Un, unnecessary resistance in order uh, to play, play this game. I was doing something, um, at my destination, I was working hard at getting to the top of the escalator uh, in a way that it wasn't designed to go. And, and I wonder if uh, for many of us, this is the picture and view that we have of Jesus, um, that we have picked a route to get to Jesus that he never intended us to go. That he's at the top of this escalator. The stairs are going downwards and we're working as hard as we can to get up to him. We're trying to be good enough. We're trying to, to do all the right things. We're trying to um, uh, be as a good of a person as we can be. And so we're trying to work hard and hard and hard. And yet we see this unnecessary, we see this resistance always um, before us, before we can get to the top and get to him. Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever felt that you have to work hard to get to Jesus? you have to try to do all the things. You have to try to um, go to church enough. You have to read your Bible enough. You have to pray. You have to not cuss too much. All the different things. Have you ever felt all these burdens that once I do these things, then Jesus will then approve of me and he'll like me? We're adding unnecessary resistance. And so what if, um, what if this trying so hard isn't what Jesus intended? What if, the, the, the goal, of, the, the way to actually know Jesus isn't heaping all these burdens on ourselves to try to work hard to do good, um, but rather it was simply recognizing something else. Recognizing something else. Because the reality is, when we live a life of trusting ourselves, two things will happen. One is you feel like you're really doing good, Like, you're really, you know, you're doing all the Christian things, you're following all the rules, and what that will inevitably do is produce lots of pride. Or, what will happen is you are aware of just how short you are. You're aware of just the guilt, you're aware of the shame, and what that does is ultimately produces you in this state of self-condemnation and guilt and shame. Neither one of those get to the heart of Christ, Neither one of those get to the, where Jesus actually wants us to go. And so the text that we're going to look at for just a few moments today, it's not a typical resurrection Easter Sunday text, but it very, very much is connected to the resurrection. We'll see that in a bit. Um, is it hopefully going to help us see a little bit more what is the heart of Christ towards sinners, which is all of us. And my hope for us today is that you don't see, when you look at Jesus, you don't see uh, a Savior who's just always nagging his finger at you because you're not doing enough, but rather you see a Savior who loves you, who actually kneels down near to you when you're in that need. Let's go ahead and reread uh, Mark 2, 13 through 17. Mark writes, He went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth, but those who are sick, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. So the first impressions of this verse that I hope you're seeing is that Jesus befriends himself with sinners. This was not an uncommon thing for Jesus to do. And, and, and in these uh, four verses, a few verses, we see two different scenes. We see two things going on, but that are interconnected. That show that Jesus is someone who actually befriends sinners. In the first scene, we see uh, Jesus call Levi the tax collector. Now, we won't go into it too much right now, but, but what you need to know about tax collectors back then is that they were not very well liked. Um, they were very much social outcasts. And because, the reason why they were called, considered social outcasts was because, essentially, they were workers for Rome. Rome was seen as the enemy of of Israel. They were seen as the bad guys. And so if a fellow countryman, a fellow Jew, uh, linked themselves up as a tax collector, essentially they were considered as a part of Rome and traitors. Because what they inevitably would do is they had to collect a certain amount from Rome to give back, and they would also then collect a little bit more for themselves to pocket. So so rightfully so, they weren't very well liked um, they were they were they were labeled as public sinners. Um, they they literally had that title. And so you did not do anything with a with a social outcast like a tax collector. You didn't want to be seen with him. You didn't want to be associated with him. You certainly didn't want to be a friend of them. And so 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 this is what this is the scene that's beginning to understand. This is who Jesus is calling, and the person of Levi. Uh, how many of you guys would ever just, like, whenever you're in a, in a store or something like that, you see someone you know, but you're not really in the mood to socially engage. You really don't want to uh, just, like, be on. So you'll, like, you'll do the whole thing with your phone, just, like, pretend or go the opposite direction. Right? Many of us have probably have done that before. Uh, if there ever was a time to do that, it's when you were walking by the tax collector booth. You didn't want to divert attention. You didn't want to look. But what does Jesus do despite that? Right? Despite not wanting to be near a tax collector, despite not culturally, it being culturally acceptable to assert yourself with him, the text says that Jesus saw Levi. This word saw is not just like, a, oh, a stumbling upon, but rather it is an intentional focusing on. When Jesus passed by the tax collector booth, he knew very well who he was calling. He knew very well who this man was. He knew very well that this man was considered a social outcast and was a sinner. But yet, what does Jesus do? He gives him the invitation to follow me. And we know Levi, his name also is Matthew. He, it was, he is, becomes one of Jesus' disciples, becomes one of the 12. This man who cheated so many people, probably including some of the disciples he was with, ends up becoming a follower of Jesus. And this invitation, what is the nature of this invitation that Jesus gave Matthew to follow me? It was, yes, to be a disciple. But even a bigger picture that, it was to have life with Jesus. It was to die to himself and, 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 and join Jesus and, and have life with him. Jesus associates himself with sinners. And if, this, if these few verses didn't, didn't, didn't show that, we look in verses 15 through 17, and we see that scope widen even more. Um, J- Jesus pretty much hosts a party at Levi's house. So Levi, yes, it's his home that they go and eat uh, a meal at, but really Jesus is the one who's hosting this party. And the party is full of Matthew and Levi's tax collector and other sinner buddies, Um, It made sense that they probably hung around with each other because no one else would hang out with them. So they made friends with one another. And so Jesus has no problem what we see in this text associating himself, not just associating himself, but having a meal with. You think about it. When we invite someone in our home to have a meal with, it's a very intimate thing. We're sharing our space with somebody else. Uh, We're we're inviting them. We're being hospitable. We're, We're welcoming them into our home. What we see Jesus doing here is that he isn't just... Um, tolerating Matthew, okay, come and like, but like, don't like tell people that we're together, but rather he's not just inviting inviting Matthew, but he invites his friends and they become friends. And so this idea that they're reclining at the table is it shows that Jesus is very, very comfortable being with people who are broken and sinful. Jesus is very, very comfortable being with people. And, And for the Pharisees, what they saw what they saw when they saw Jesus associating himself with sinners was that, oh, he's approving. Why does he eat with these people? Does he not know who they are? But, but rather, when Jesus eats with sinners in tax he's he isn't like saying, yay, good job on your sin, but rather he's meeting people in the midst of their own brokenness. You notice when he calls Matthew, he doesn't say, hey, clean your life up, fix, fix some things, you know, leave this, you know, do this, do that, and then you can follow me, but rather he gives the simple invitation, then What happens? The response was obedience. Obedience wasn't what caused the invitation, but rather what followed from it. So do we see, begin to see the heart of Jesus in these verses, in, the, in, this, in this short little text? The heart of Christ that we see is that he is someone who draws near to our brokenness. He draws, he's not afraid of it. He's not ashamed um, to associate himself with sinners. He's not ashamed, he's not, he, he's not embarrassed, but rather he's very much a savior who kneels down into the midst of brokenness. Let me ask you this question. Is a welcoming savior, because all of us in here are probably well aware of where we're broken, where we struggle. Is a welcoming savior the image that you have when you first think of Jesus? Or is it somebody that you think is just always disapproved of you? Who's always wagging his finger at you? Who's always just saying you're not doing enough? what the text is beginning to help us see here is that Jesus doesn't just associate himself with sinners, doesn't just befriend sinners, but rather he actually steps into the lives of sinners and meets them where they're at. <clears throat> I love how Dane Ortlund, um he says it like this. The deeper into weakness and suffering and testing we go, the deeper Christ's solidarity is with us. As we go down into pain and anguish, we are descending ever deeper into Christ's very heart and not away from it. And we notice here, there's a very stark contrast that's going on in this text. There's a very stark contrast going on in this text. When Jesus saw a sinner, when Jesus saw Matthew, he welcomes. And what's interesting, uh, it also when, we talk, when it shifts to the Pharisees, that same word for saw is used for them. When the Pharisees saw sinners, they condemned when Jesus saw sinners, he welcomed The Pharisees were the ones who believed that ultimately rightness with God was based on how well you followed the law. Which if you look at the first five books of your Bible, um, that's, that's law. Specifically Leviticus. There's 600 some odd commands plus more that they brought on. Um, following these things to a T is what made you right with God. And so the, in their eyes, man, they were absolutely crushing it. They were doing all the right things. They were doing everything as they were supposed to be doing. And so when they saw Jesus hanging out with sinners and tax collectors, they were like, oh, no, you shouldn't be doing that. But when Jesus, I think Mark is very intentional about using the same word. We need to notice this contrast. But when Jesus sees sees sinners and tax collectors, he welcomes and befriends them. And if anybody actually could condemn sinners, if anyone could actually rightfully judge sinners, which Jesus does, it's him. But what we see in this text, that Jesus' initial response towards broken people is to step into their lives and and welcome them. To love them, to meet them in the middle of their brokenness. And and we see this culminate in Jesus' statement of, of why he came. In verse 17, he says, I have come not to call the righteous, but sinners. Now, reality was, the Pharisees were also sinners, but they didn't see themselves as such. They saw themselves as people who had it all together. But in actuality, they were just as broken as the tax collectors and other public sinners that were in the same room. So who is Jesus for? Those who are really good? Those who have their act together? Those who um, can do all the right things? Those who've never missed a day of church? Or is he for those who realize their need? Or is he for those who realize that they're sick? How freeing would it be if we actually believed that? How freeing would it be that we actually believed that Jesus welcomes us? That we don't have to heap these burdens upon ourselves. We don't have to perform but rather we simply get to bring our need to him and he doesn't despise us because of it. I know for me, Monday morning, um, I-, I woke up just feeling super, um, just this sense of feeling of I have not done enough. Uh, for those of you who might be uh, around my age, I felt like a dashboard confessional song, um, which it was just emo band back in the 90s. And for those of you who don't know who that is, it- it's a band that just their lyrics were full of melancholy with a hints of hope. That was my mood on, on, on Monday. Very much feeling like I haven't measured up. Very much feeling um, I haven't done enough. I mean, as I think about the different roles of my life as a as a as a friend, as a as a husband, as a son, as a pastor. Uh, just these 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 ideas, these expectations, these self-made expectations that I've put on myself, um, thinking that God is the one who's put that on me. And I walk in such a way where there's a lot of guilt and shame because I just feel like I have not done enough. I haven't performed enough. And, and, and I, it, I didn't use this language at the moment, um, but ultimately what I was doing was I was basing my rightness with God. I was basing my value on what I could bring to the table as opposed to what Jesus has done for me. I was heaping burdens onto myself, heaping all these different things onto me that I feel like God was expecting me, that I had to do X, Y, and Z because I'm this and, 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 and not realize that ultimately I don't, I don't have to find my rest in myself. Don't we do this though? It's a subtle shift in our mindset in which we create these standards of what we feel like we should be doing and then we realize we're not doing these things and then all of a sudden what we realize is that I feel condemned and guilt and shame because I'm not meeting these standards that i put on myself and here's the thing that we often will do that's even more dangerous We ultimately create these standards for ourselves. Well, I would say we create these prisons for ourselves and we think that it's Jesus is the one who's put us in them. We think that it's Jesus is the one who's put us in them. How how, how shackling is this? How shackling is this? When we are aware, a lot of times of us, we're aware of our brokenness and we're aware of our need. We are aware of where we struggle. We're aware of all these things. And a lot of times, what we do is we either create these burdens and prisons for ourselves that I feel like I've got to do, or we feel like I've got to clean myself up before I can go to God, or we just feel so broken and entirely dejected that I just can't even go before Him. Because we've misunderstood the heart of who Jesus is, we've added unnecessary resistance, we've added unnecessary burdens. And we, we, we call that that's what Jesus wants. So, so what is Jesus ultimately telling us to do with our brokenness and sin? What is Jesus ultimately trying to get us to, to, to think about what it means to, to follow Him? It's ultimately that we don't fix ourselves, we don't um, get to Jesus, we don't uh, understand His love and grace uh, through a lens of works, through a lens of performance but rather through a lens of him loving us simply because we get to be weak. We get to be needy. We get to be broken. And it's actually in that space, according to the text, that we actually understand the depths of God's love for us. When we realize that we are a sinner, when we realize that we're not righteous on our own, when we realize we haven't measured up on our own, but rather have a great need, then we understand the depths of Jesus' love for us. His love for you is not based on you. So breathe. Relax. And and, and this morning, we get to celebrate the finished work of Christ. That's why we're here. We're we're, we're celebrating. That's what Easter is. So that's one of the things, the question, how do we know for sure that Jesus welcomes us? How do we know for sure that Jesus invites us into his presence? Well, Jesus died, right, on the cross, as we, we talked about on Friday, but he also rose again, showing that he defeated death and sin, the very things that held us in bondage. Think about this. So, so Paul says in, in 1 Corinthians 15, he says that if Christ had not been raised from the dead, if Christ didn't resurrect, if he didn't walk out of that tomb, if he did not raise from the dead, then our faith is futile, and then you and I, all of us in this room, are still dead in our sins, and here's what let me tell you what that, what that means. If, if this is true, if this was true, then what that means for you and I is that we do have to work hard. We do have to perform. We do have to be perfect. We have to be all these things that we ultimately know that we can't be. If this is true, if the resurrection did not happen, then ultimately Jesus doesn't really welcome sinners, but rather expects them to perform something for him. But, as Paul says in verse 20. He says, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. So what does that mean for us? What that means is that Jesus' welcoming of sinners wasn't just something that happened uh, when he lived on this earth, but Jesus' welcoming sinners happens today in 2022. Jesus' welcoming sinners is not something that happened back then, but it happens still now. And the resurrection ultimately sealed that. The issue of sin and death that permeates all of us in here um, was ultimately dealt with for the person of Jesus. His re- yes, amen. The resurrection ultimately sealed this life that we can have with him and this idea that Jesus is a welcoming Savior. So, so, so you know what that ultimately means for us? Freedom. Freedom from the expectation to perform Freedom from the expectation that you have to do this, this, and this to get to God. Freedom from all these burdens that we put on ourselves and expect, ultimately think that it's Jesus is the one putting them in. No, we don't need to create these prisons for ourselves and think that Jesus is the one putting us in them. But rather, we can be broken. We can be weak. We can admit our need. That's the point of this text. We can admit our need and ultimately know that Jesus is the one who meets it. So, so I don't know what, uh, I know in this room, Um, that there's probably a lot of you who are coming in here feeling some kind of weakness, awareness of your struggle, awareness of your sin. I don't know how how exactly you're feeling right now, but you might be thinking that your life is too messy or or, or too complicated, or that you've, you've done things that you never thought you would do. You've sinned too far. You've done too much. You've um, you've done so many things that you wouldn't even want anybody to know of and you, and, and you projected on Jesus that I can't come to him. Friend, hear me say this, Jesus is for you. Jesus welcomes you. You have not outsinned the cross and this is what we celebrate in the resurrection. And, 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 and you know what actually helps us grow as Christians? The funny thing is, it's not by us pulling ourselves by the bootstraps and trying harder and putting these burdens on us, but rather it's trusting in the finished work of Christ. And we'll be surprised about the fruit that actually flows from that. We said, obedience is not the means to Jesus, but it is the fruit. Let's not get that reversed because so many of us will get that reversed. And, we, and when we get that reversed, we get Jesus wrong. Here's the gospel simply. Is that God created us to be in relationship with Him? God created mankind to be in relationship with Him. We sin. We ultimately, what sin is a distrust of God's goodness and direction for our life. When we sin, we are separated from God. When sin entered into the world, however, Jesus wasn't done. God wasn't finished. He wasn't going to let mankind stay in the sin, but rather he was going to make a way for us to be back in relationship with him. And so when we see the life of Jesus, when Jesus comes onto the scene, he lives a perfect life. He goes to the cross and pays the penalty for our sins that we did not deserve. And ultimately he raises again, showing that he has complete victory over those things. And so when we put our faith and trust in him, all of a sudden what happens? So we are back in union with our creator. We are back in union with our creator. And ultimately, what is our response? How do we respond to this? It's the same thing we've been saying every week. We repent and believe. Faith in Christ means that we trust in the finished work of Jesus. We trust that, that his sacrifice on the cross was enough. And so I, whenever I bring my sin to him, whenever I repent of my sin, actually repentance is an invitation to go to Jesus. When I, bring sin, when I bring our sin to him, the Bible says he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. This is the life that we're invited into. Jesus befriends and welcomes sinners. And this is what we get to celebrate on the resurrection. And so Ben, you guys can go ahead and come on up. I love this quote from from Jonathan Edwards. I think it encapsulates just the heart of Christ. So, well, he says that ultimately you contribute nothing to your salvation except the sin that made it necessary. You contribute nothing to your salvation except for the sin that made it necessary. And here's why I tell you, say that that gets to the heart of Christ. Because Jesus knows, God knows that we couldn't do enough. And so it was out of love that Jesus lived and went to the cross and died for us. It was out of love as it says in Romans, that he did these things. And so all we need to do is recognize that we're needy, recognize that we have sinned, recognize that we're broken, recognize that we've distrusted God with our lives, recognize these things and go to Jesus and he takes care of the rest. And so this is what we get to celebrate when we partake in communion together. We get to celebrate the fact that Jesus has bought our salvation when we get to eat the bread and drink the juice, what we're doing is we're remembering that ultimately we have a Savior who welcomes us into his presence. He welcomes us not based on you, but based on him. He is not afraid to lean into your brokenness. He's not afraid to lean into your darkness, whatever it might be, no matter how complicated or messy you might think it is. When we take communion, we're reminded that Jesus is a welcoming Savior. And he ultimately bought that welcomingness uh, on the cross and sealed the salvation with his resurrection. And so, so, so if you're a Christian this morning, if you've placed your faith in Jesus, uh, celebrate. With your, I would encourage you, celebrate with your family. Take communion with those around you. Celebrate the fact that you have been welcomed by Jesus. Because this isn't just an individual thing, but this is a communal thing. We get to celebrate that this morning. So take communion and joyfully partake with the, of the body of Christ around you. But if, I, I would encourage you, because I'm, I'm, not, I'm not gonna, under, I understand that there's probably people in here who have not put their faith in Jesus. I, I would ask that you would just, um, one thing, just understand that the, the, the table is for believers. Um, so we would ask for you to refrain, but what we would ask for you to do is consider Jesus. We would ask you to consider Jesus. Um, the hope and life and love that he gives you. I would ask you to consider um, what what are you trying to look for and look towards for life? What are you trying to look to and look for for something that's going to satisfy? Because ultimately, true life and true love will be found when we're back in relationship with our creator through Jesus. So I would ask you to take these moments to consider Jesus. Remember the words of what Jesus said, that he said, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. And that's all of us. He's called us. He's welcomes us. And so today we get to celebrate. We get to celebrate that there is freedom, is, that freedom is found when we realize our need. We get to celebrate um, because in Jesus, we get to be back in relationship with our creator. And we get to celebrate today um, Because Jesus has conquered the grave, that he has risen, and that by rising from the dead, by resurrecting, he's he's conquered the very things that held us in bondage, sin and death. We get to celebrate today. So let us celebrate together.